0: Turn in your Bibles to First Peter chapter 3. Uh, while you're doing that, again, let me give you the same public service announcement we gave last week. We're going to step out of our series next week for a week. You know, we're talking about how the culture for these folks in the 60s AD, the culture and Christianity are diverging and it's causing them problems. Because of how they live versus how their culture around them says they should live, they're starting to be persecuted. And so we're going to talk about one of those big issues in our culture next week, which is the issue of sexuality. Sexuality. That is an issue where the culture and the church are diverging more and more, and there's starting to be a lot of conflict. Now, you don't have to do anything, right? One of our elders, Bob Hart, is gonna do it. It's gonna be a topical series. You know, normally we just take a chunk of scripture, but he is gonna look more broadly at what do the scriptures say on this topic. Show up. You, you, nothing you have to do. But we tell you for parents because we love having the kids in here. We're glad they're here. But parents, you need to decide. I mean, normally, you know, I, I go G or PG. That's about as high as I'm going to hit on a sermon. Obviously, this is a mulch, much more adult topic. So we're going to be talking about what the scriptures say about sexuality and also what do we do about that. Like we have these two very different views of sexuality: one in the culture and one in the church. So what do we do when, on the one hand, we have all these commands that say, hey, you need to live like this. And on the other hand, we have commands like, don't judge. How do we reconcile those? What does it mean for us as believers that the scriptures command us to live certain ways and the culture says, no, don't do that. That's bad. So again, that'll be next week. Parents, that's for you to decide about your kids if you want them to be in that or not. So back to 1 Peter. We are going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to read from verses 13 down to the end of the chapter, verse 22. So follow along with me. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience So that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. So when I first started preparing for this sermon and I first started reading this, I was really encouraged because I felt like Peter was starting to lighten up a little bit. And we've had all of this just intense, yes, you're going to suffer. Yes, these things happen. Yes, people are going to slander you. And I breathed, oh, who's going to do good? Who's going to harm you if you do good? And, and here in 14, how he almost even is dismissive of it. But even if you should suffer. And I thought, oh, this is nice. It's a little weird, actually, because he's been so intense up until now, and we know they're suffering, but but still I thought, oh, this is encouraging. Let's kind of work our way through the passage and all. And yet then I started reading the commentaries. The commentaries pointed out to me something that I embarrassed to say, as someone who has studied the biblical languages for literally decades, that I had not noticed, uh, which was that verse 13 is in the future. Who is going to harm you? Literally, who will harm you? And as the commentators reminded me, again, of what I should have been reminded of already. Peter's told us a lot about the future in this book. If you look back at chapter one, verses four and five, he talks about how we have an inheritance kept in heaven for us that will be revealed at the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Not today, later, in, in the final days. He's also said in verse 13, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Not the grace you get today, although you do get grace today, but that's not what we hope in. That's not where our confidence is. Our confidence is in the return of Christ. He said back in, uh, in chapter 2, verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us, not today, on the day he returns. Peter's talked a bunch about the future, and the future is always when Jesus comes back. And I think that's what he's talking about here. Because he's already told us, as we just read in chapter two, verse 12, that, yep, people are going to speak badly of you in the here and now, in today. Even when you do what is good and right, they're going to speak poorly of you. They're going to, literally, they're gonna call you evildoers is what he says. But there is a day in the future, Peter tells us, when we will not be harmed, when no one's going to say those things about us. There's a day in the future when people aren't going to try and do bad things to us. But that day is not today. When he says in 14, even if you should suffer, I don't think he's saying that's a A light possibility. Maybe that'll happen. He's already told us it'll happen. We know it's happening to them. We don't know all the details, but we know they're suffering for being Christians. We know there's official state persecution against them in this province. But even if you should suffer, Peter says, yeah, yep, even if that happens, and it is, you're blessed. Peter says there's blessing in our suffering, but we may not see it until Jesus returns, you know, and as I thought about that, like, isn't that so true in so many things in life? Like, you, you, you look at the, the musicians up here playing and you think, oh, wow, I want to do that too. I, I want to I wanna play guitar in the, in the worship team. And so you come to Tim and you're like, Tim, I, w- I want to play guitar in the worship team. And Tim says, well, great. Why don't you bring your guitar next week? And I'll, we'll do some songs and I'll check you out. And you tell him, oh, no, I don't play guitar. I don't have a guitar. I just want to play with the worship team. I I don't think I'm putting words in Tim's mouth. He's not here to defend himself. We'll have to ask him when he comes back. I don't think I'm putting words in his mouth. If Tim would say to you, let me pray about that, no. (laughs) Because you don't know how to play guitar. But you could. You could be a guitar player if you wanted to. But it will cost you in the present. It will cost you time, it will cost you money, it will cost you energy. I speak from experience, expect your fingers to bleed. Expect to suffer a little until your fingers toughen up on those metal strings so doing this doesn't cut them up. If you want to suffer in the here and now, you can have the benefit. You can have the blessing in the future. If you wanna go to Italy next summer and speak Italian, you can't just get on the plane and open your mouth but you could do the work now. You could suffer now. Because wow, as anybody, you know, there is some point when things start bouncing off our brains instead of sticking in. There is suffering you could do now to have blessing later. Like this is, every time we go out and plant something in a garden, we're banking on this. We're banking on the fact that if I work at it now, if I suffer now, something good will happen in the future. Every time you put those tomato seeds in the ground, that's work. And watering them is work. And weeding is work. And if you live in done, what are you keeping the deer away from them is work? There's a lot of work to be done. But you plant those seeds in hope, in the expectation that tomato plants will grow. The problem is we live in a fallen world and we're fallen people. So the truth is you could study a lot of Italian and still not be that good. You could suffer a lot at language learning and not be that great at it. And you could plant a lot of tomatoes and do a ton of work. And you don't actually end up getting tomatoes at the end because the world is fallen and we are fallen. But remember what Peter told us at the very beginning of this book, chapter one, verse four, you have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It is kept in heaven for you. You who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. The the planting, that's trusting in the fallen world that those things will grow. And learning to play guitar or speak Italian, that's trusting in us to be able to do the work. But we all know the reality in a fallen world is it doesn't always work. But suffering for the faith, doing what is right, all the things he's told us to do, not returning evil for evil, neither attacking nor running away, but standing, treating people with respect and kindness and gentleness. All of that, Peter tells us, we are guaranteed to be rewarded for. We are guaranteed because it's not us. It's not our power. It's not that I'm gonna do such a good job that I know that something good will happen. It's that God has promised and God can do that. God has the power to keep these things for us. Peter says, even if you suffer today, and they are, and some of you are, and we all will, even when that is true, Peter says, you have blessings. You have these good things that are coming to us in the future. And so he goes on and he gives sort of two little sets of commands to them, starting in the, in the second half of verse 14. One, he says, don't do this. And then the next is he says, do this. And the don't do it, he says, don't fear their threats and do not be frightened. And I really like what he's doing here as an author because he's playing with different words for fear. And he'll do it again later. I'll show you when we get there. But the first word is just the word to be afraid. Don't be afraid of fearful things. So it's external. Don't be afraid of people threatening you. Don't be afraid of their fearful stuff. The second word means to be worried inside, to, to, to be anxious and to be stirred up inside. He says, look, don't be afraid externally and don't be afraid internally. You don't have to do either of those things. You don't have to be afraid of what people say, what they do, how they act towards you. And you don't have to be afraid inside. You don't have to be worried and, and concerned and anxious about these things. Peter said, instead, that's the don't, what's the do? Instead, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Okay, what's your heart? You remember, it's not your emotions. It's not your emotions. That's your gut, your intestines. That's your emotions in their world. Head is intellect, gut is emotion heart is you it's where your intellect and your emotions come together it's where you make decision it's the center of your being i told you guys in this world they'll go into battle without a helmet because all they could get then is a head wound they'll never go into battle without a breastplate because this is them you get injured here that's the core of your being in their view peter says at the center of who you are, and this should not surprise any of us, given all the stuff he's said up until now. Set apart, that's what revere means. And so your translation may say to, to hallow or to make holy, because it set Christ apart as Lord. And we talk, I sort of stole from this part for last week's sermon, you can probably tell. Something, we at the center of our being ought to have something that's set apart. That's the only thing there and it's Jesus. Jesus is Lord. Peter says, that's what we do. We're not afraid of them, and we're not anxious inside. Why? Because we, And again, you got to do it. This is a command. This doesn't just happen. We have decided in the center of our beings, in our hearts, in in who we are, where we make decisions, we have said the single most important thing in my life, how I'm going to live, what I'm going to do, what happens to me? Jesus is Lord. That's what Peter tells us again. That's what we need to do. That's where we need to have that. And he goes on from there and tells you what that's going to look like in your life. Now, So for Peter, from the middle of 14 down to the end of 16 is one long sentence. You can't do that in English. Your teacher will grade you poorly if you write a paragraph-long sentence. So we break these up and make them separate commands. Revere Christ as Lord, period, command. Be prepared, period, command. Do this with, period, command. But the way he writes it, the only command is to set Christ apart. Everything else is flowing out of that in his sentence. What's going to happen if you set Christ apart as Lord? What are some of the outcomes to be? Always being ready, he says, to give a reason for the hope that you have if anybody asks you. So, brothers and sisters, why do we have hope? Remember, I told you, hope in their world does not mean wish. Hope means expectation. They wish for what they don't have. They excuse me, for what they don't think, they're not sure of, they hope in the things they are sure of. They do expect. A synonym for hope is expectation. Why do we have a confident expectation of good? Even though, wow, it doesn't look good. Why do we expect it to be good? Jesus is Lord. So I've got a friend from seminary who was one of the original Guys who got hired for SpaceX many years ago. He's like employee number 20 or something. And he told me this story once, trying to, like, I was asking what it was like to work there in the early days and all. He said, they built their very first rocket. So they've done, I mean, they've been going for a couple years now, but they finally built a rocket. They've got a launch site. They're gonna launch this rocket up into space. This is gonna be their very first rocket. I think he said it cost $7 million to build that rocket. So it's not huge, right? It's not going to take people. It, it's just going to go up with a payload and all that. Countdown. Three, two, one. Seven million dollars turned into little, bitty pieces of metal raining down on the launch site. You know, and again, there's only like 20 of them, right? And they're all looking at each other back in the mission control going, oh my gosh, what, what just happened? And Elon Musk walks in the door the man that just spent $7 million of his own money to build this rocket. And he says to them, what happened? <laughs> They're like, oh, we have no idea. It blew up. <laughs> I was like, sorry, sorry about the $7 million raining down. Like, it blew up. He said to them, did we get any data? The guy's like, oh, my gosh. Did we, it'll take us three months just to go, just to go through the data. We, yes, we'll be analyzing data forever. We got so much data. And Elon Musk says to them, excellent, blow up another one, and walks out of the room. Now, they did blow up the second one. I think he said it got a couple feet off the ground. And and the third one got like 20 feet off the ground before it blew up, or maybe it was one that spun upside down and crashed, I don't remember. Do you think they were scared when they blew the second rocket up? Do you think they worried for their jobs? Do you think they feared that their boss, the man that just paid for it, was going to walk in and start threatening them and yelling them? He's like, no. Like, I asked him, what did you like? You know, what was great about, about working there? It's like, no one was scared of failure. The guy who was spending all the money, he did not care if we blew millions of dollars up as long as we were moving forward. He understood that this is hard. Now imagine, you don't, have a, you don't have Elon Musk as a boss. <laughs> you have the Lord of the universe as a boss. My friend was not concerned for his job when he blew up tens of millions of dollars of equipment, repeatedly. Anybody remember how many they tried to land that just went wham, boom. Over and over again, they smashed rockets Falling out of the sky from space into the ground. And every time it's the same question. Did we get any data? Oh yeah, we got data. Excellent. You, you serve the king of the universe who loves you, who died for you. The psalmist says he knows two things about God, that God is powerful and that God is loving. You serve a God, a boss, a king, a Lord who is powerful. (laughs) If he says it, it happens. If he wants it to happen, it happens. And you serve a God, a Lord, a king who is loving and kind and good and wants what is for your best. How is it that we have hope? Why do we think things are going to work out in the end? Because we serve this incredibly powerful, incredibly good God. Because Jesus is Lord. He's Lord over the whole universe. Every single star that's in the sky, and we find more of them every time we put a new telescope up there. He made every single star. The scriptures say many times that the stars sing to him. I am very very excited about eternity to find out if that's literally true or just a metaphor. Like when you get up out there somewhere, are the stars praising God? Because Jesus says the trees will one day. That day when he comes back, the rocks and the trees and the mountains and the rivers, they know he's Lord too. And they're all going to burst into song that is the God you serve. So why are we afraid? You know what Paul tells the Romans, if if God, if Jesus is for you, who, who could possibly be against you that matters? Why do we have hope? Most people, most people actually have hope. Most people think everything will turn out okay. And if you ask them, there's sort of two big main reasons. One is, effectively, I'm really impressed with myself. (laughs) I'm really confident that I'm smart enough or I'm clever enough or I'm strong enough or I'm well-connected enough or I'm rich enough. I'm pretty confident that I I can make this work out. I'm just ultimately pretty impressed with myself. Or I just don't really want to think about it. Oh, the universe will do something. Something will happen. Oh, you know, it always it works out. It's just the way it'll all, no, stop Stop being so worried, but such a worry war. It'll all work out. Either I'm really impressed with myself or I just don't want to think about it. Brothers and sisters, we have a reason that we know it will all work out because there's a king and one day he will work it all out. And he is powerful enough to do that. And he is kind enough to make sure it goes well. We are the people on the planet who actually have a good reason to have hope. To say, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. It is all going to work out. Everything, I mean, you see the signs up. Everything really will be okay. Why? Because you got a sign in your yard? No. Because there's a good king on the throne of the universe, and he will wait for a while while he gives us the freedom to sort things out as we want, but the day will come when he reestablishes his good and gracious reign over this world. We actually have hope, and so Peter says, hey, set Christ apart as the Lord. So you've, you've always got a reason you could tell people why you believe everything will work out, but Do so with gentleness and respect. And again, I like what Peter's doing. The word respect is another word for fear. So he said, don't be afraid of the people out there. Don't be afraid of what they're trying to do to you or tell you or talking to you or hurting you or persecuting you. And don't be churned up inside. Don't be worried. Don't be upset. But when you speak to people, speak to them with gentleness and speak to them with fear. Not fear of them. Who do we fear? God. (laughs) God. We don't fear them. We fear our Lord. The respect, it's not, don't, don't, it's not respect for them. It's respect for God. Why do you treat people with gentleness? Why do you not pay back evil for evil? Why, why are you kind and gracious to people who don't deserve it? Why would you be respectful of people who don't deserve respect? Because God does. <laughs> because your Lord does and your Lord has told you to do this. This is how he wants you to interact with his world. When you tell people why you have hope because you know there is a king on the throne because Jesus is Lord. And it doesn't matter ultimately whether we believe that or not. It's still true. Jesus is Lord. When you tell people that, our king says, "Wow, you tell him with gentleness? You tell him respectfully?" You are kind, you are gentle, you are gracious because you respect me. Because you are obeying me. And again, we are the people on the planet who can do that. We are the people who should be the most gracious, the most kind, the most respectful. Because it's not about you or how you treat me or what I think about you. It's irrelevant. I have to be gracious to you because my Lord commands it. Not because you deserve it or don't deserve it, or I feel like it or don't feel like it, or it's a good day or it's a bad day. My Lord commands it. And so Peter goes from there. Remember I've told you that in our world, we tend to make arguments like really straightforwardly and we line everything up and these guys, they're into repetition. They tend to loop. They make point one, two, they go back to one, they go to three, they come back to two. And notice That's what Peter is doing here. He is now going to reiterate all these different things he just said. So in verse 16, he talks about keep a a clear conscience so those who speak maliciously against your good behavior at Christ may be ashamed of their slander, which is just restating what he said back in chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It's not today. You you, you act well towards people. It's not today that they're ashamed of themselves. The day's coming, but it's not today, Peter says. And then he'll do the same thing in verse 17. It's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And he's just reiterating what he said back in 220. If you, how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. And do you notice how he's kind of upping the ante? It's commendable before God if you suffer for doing good. This time he says that it's better if it's God's will. Wow, now there's a scary proposition, brothers and sisters. It is sometimes God's will that we suffer. The king, the guy who's in charge of everything, he decides that. How? How do we know that it is sometimes God's will that we suffer? verse 18 which again is just come back to exactly what he said before for Christ also suffered Christ suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God it was God's will that Jesus suffer and sometimes it's his will that we suffer and that's what he said before To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. And again, you notice he's kind of, he's going back to it, but he's telling us more about it. Christ didn't just leave us an example. He suffered for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. It was God's will that Jesus suffer. And if it were me, and Peter didn't ask me, so it's not. But if he had, I'd have told him, that's good, Pete, stop there. Just right there, that's, go on to chapter four. Okay, listen to this, tell me, don't you think this works? For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. End of chapter three, chapter four, verse one. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself with the same attitude. It totally works, it flows, it's beautiful. Oh no, no, he he doesn't stop there. He didn't take my advice, he just keeps right on going again. I can't decide whether I'm like super impressed or super wondering about like he picks these examples. I would never have the guts to pick. I would never put this next part in if I was teaching this to you. I heard one guy, I've got a friend um, who he doesn't go to our church, but he watches and he's been asking me for weeks, are you at those verses in chapter three yet? He texted me this morning while I was rehearsing, is today the day? Like, yes. Yes. Today, yes. I would never put these verses in here. What is he talking about? He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. What? What, What? What is that? angels is that the nephilim is that the people who died in the what is he talking about okay here's my theological answer to this very question so bill are are you listening i do not know i don't know what he's talking about here but wow did you catch he spent i would end at the right there in the middle of verse 18 Christ suffered once the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. And then I'm done. Why? Because I have an incredibly Jeff-centric view of salvation. Why did Jesus die? He died to bring us to God. End of discussion. We're done. Let's move on. Wow, Peter doesn't think that. Peter doesn't think the only reason Jesus died was to save us. Peter seems aware that there is a whole nother reality going on out there that Jesus' death was part of. Jesus died. He became alive with the spirit. He preached to these imprisoned spirits from the time of Noah. I'm like, look, Pete, seriously, if you're gonna add in verses like this, could you add in chapters about this? What is this? Oh no, he just keeps, just keeps right on going. Noah, Noah getting saved in an ark through water. Peter says, there's an equivalent to that to our salvation, not, not the water baptism that would just get you wet and wash you, but the baptism that's a pledge, that's the spirit. In the scripture, the pledge, the, the guarantee, the deposit, that's the Holy Spirit. Just like Noah went through all this water and was saved, you have the Holy Spirit and are saved. Like, what? What's the connection, Peter? And he just keeps right on going, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to Him. And I think, wait a minute, He was at God's right hand before He left. Wasn't everything in submission to Him back then? But no, we were all in rebellion, weren't we? Not just us, but angels and powers and authorities. Like all. Oh, there's this whole other world out there that Peter just hints at. He just dips his toe into. He spends half a verse talking about our salvation and four and a half verses talking about everything else that Jesus' death and resurrection accomplished. That it connected what happened to Noah, to us, and he preached to these spirits that we're not even sure who they are. And now that he's he's back at God's right hand where he started from, oh, but now everything is in submission to him. Everything that rebelled is back under him. And then Peter just keeps right on going. Brothers and sisters, I want you to imagine that when you suffer, it is, you're not just being obedient. When you choose not to strike back, someone harms you, you could strike back, you know you could, but you, you do exactly what Peter said, you keep your mouth shut. You just... You don't fight back. Imagine if this is still true. That there are powers and authorities. There are angelic beings that that you are somehow, because God wanted Jesus to suffer to do all this, because God had this whole long game plan going on. Imagine that he's doing the same things now, because there are these weird verses in the Bible about talking about that the church is God displaying his glory to powers and authorities and principalities. There is this whole other world out there that we are completely unaware of as physical, rooted in space and time being. And Jesus' obedience dramatically affected that world. And I think Peter's putting this here because ours does too. When you obey, when you choose to do what God has said to do, it is not just, okay, fine, I am obeying. I think you are striking a blow. You are fighting against evil forces. You are fighting against powers and authorities. This whole other world that we don't know about, that is in rebellion against God, that he is bringing back, your obedience is part of that. Every time you keep your mouth shut. Every time you are attacked and you don't fight back, every time you say to yourself, Jesus is Lord, he will deal with this. Because that's what he says all the time. Why do we not take revenge? Because God says, I will take revenge and I am better at it than you are. I will bring justice because I understand justice and you don't. Every time we say to ourselves, Jesus is Lord, I will let him deal with this as he has commanded. You're not Just obeying. You are connecting yourself to what Jesus did when he obeyed God. I think you are helping to bring spiritual powers and authorities and principalities, this whole other spiritual world. We know that a third of the angels rebelled against God. Like we're not the only thing in the universe. There's another world out there. And we know parts of it is in rebellion against God. And Jesus brought that back. And I think you do too. Which is another reason why obedience is so important. Because when you disobey, then you, you strike a blow for the bad guys. You know that old saying, right? The, the evil prospers when good men do nothing. That's kind of what I think Peter's saying. When we obey, we strike a blow for God's kingdom in bringing everything back in submission to him. And when we don't, then we're fighting for the wrong guys. Brothers and sisters, in your heart, here, you're at the center of your being. Jesus is Lord. And I hammered on that last week, and I'm hammering on that this week because it changes everything. It changes everything about our lives. Do you believe that? We have been talking about it for weeks and weeks. Do you believe it? Are you gonna go out? Is your life this week going to be different. Because you say to yourself, Jesus is Lord. And you obey your Lord. You fight against whatever is going on at the end of this chapter, these principalities and these powers that God is bringing back in submission through the suffering of Christ. And again, these weird verses in scripture that that when you suffer, you're filling up the sufferings of Christ. Is this maybe what Paul's talking about? we are fighting against these spiritual forces. But it starts with Jesus as Lord. That's where it has to begin. It has to begin with Jesus as Lord. So I am going to pray for us. I'm going to pray the same thing I've been praying for weeks for all of us, that God will work this into our hearts. I mean, I'm going to tell you this every week. I've been telling you this and I'm going to keep telling you this because it matters. It matters how we live. It's not just us. There's a whole other world out there. It matters how we live. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray that this truth, that God keeps working this truth into our hearts, that Jesus is Lord so that we obey. And by obeying, we become part of what God is doing to bring all of creation, and I don't mean just the stuff we see, all of creation back under his authority to that day, when he returns. So pray with me. Ah, Lord, again, you set a high bar, Lord God. You set a very high bar that you want us to live like your son did. Your son who could have called hordes, tens of thousands of angelic warriors to save him had he only said the word. And he never said the word. He didn't just suffer, he died. Because it was your will. And wow, in dying, he didn't just save us. He, he, all this other stuff is going on. Lord, you know how hard this is for us. You know how easy it is for us to say, yes, Jesus is Lord. And how hard it is for us to, to sit that, to, to, to set you apart, to do the work, to set our hope on your return, to set you in our hearts today, now, as Lord. Lord that we obey you, you are our Lord. That though every fiber of our being cries out sometimes to do otherwise, you, Jesus, you are Lord. Jesus, Lord Jesus, please help us. Please help us to make this real. Please help us to make this true. I have been reading this book for months. And wow, I know how many times it's not true for me. I know how many times I do not remember that you are Lord and I have not set you apart. I have set me apart as Lord. I decide Lord Jesus, please help us. If there is so much more going on in the universe, then we realize, please help us to set you apart as our Lord to live our lives in obedience to you. I don't think Peter told us anything in this passage that he hasn't told us other places, but wow, he's right. We've got to hear it over and over again. I need to hear this over and over again so that I'll do it, so that I'll remember it, so that it works itself in. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would work this into our hearts, that not a day will go by this week when we are not reminded that Jesus is Lord And then a day goes by that we don't make that decision in the core of our being, that Jesus is our Lord, so we will obey him. Even when he tells us horrible things, like don't strike back, love your enemies, bless those who curse you. All those things that you already did, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, we give you permission to remind us over and over and over again, That Jesus is our Lord. That when we suffer, we will suffer well. That we will suffer in ways that he is proud of us. That we will not be afraid because we have set you apart as Lord in our heart. And everything will flow out of that. But you've got to do that for us, Holy Spirit. We know we cannot do that ourselves. So we invite you again this week to do this in our hearts. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus. Always. We pray everything in your name because you are Lord. Amen.